Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP-FM 106.5 Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 326. We're going to talk about climate and flood control. So what gives rise to this topic is an article that I ran across in The New Republic, and the article is entitled, Americans are in total denial about flooding. This article is from February 9th of this year, and it's by Lisa Featherstone. So the article talks about various places in the U.S. where flooding is an issue. It gives stats as to the expected increases in flood damage over the next three decades. And it talks about how flooding will affect nearly everyone. And it talks about how the Build Back Better plan has solutions to these problems, but then government gridlock gets in the way. So they're really lamenting government gridlock that prevents us from moving forward with what they consider to be rational strategies for addressing flood control. So what I'm going to do is examine some of the very foundational assumptions that they have in this article in the New Republic. We're going to talk about things like, you know, what is flooding? How do you prevent flooding? What is the connection between flooding and climate change? What, in fact, causes climate change and what are the solutions? What are some of the solutions in the physical realm and what are some of the solutions to climate change in the political and economic realm? So the article reads, Surviving the climate crisis in a democracy is a crash course in learning how to act in the common good. At the federal level, with Build Back Better stalled due to fossil fuel money, egos, and denialism, some funding for flood protection is stymied by bad actors for whom the idea of the common good is a category error. And that's something we have to expect as we work to end our dependence on fossil fuels and solve the problem at its source. A kleptocracy of lobbyists and donors will try to stymie our every move. So what you have here is a lot of the right rhetoric and a lot of the right ideas, but then something happens on the way to real solutions. So here are four major issues that arise here when you talk about flooding and climate and government solutions or gridlock that prevents solutions. The issues that arise are, number one, what are the causes of flooding and what are the solutions? Number two, what are the causes of climate change and what are the solutions? Number three, why is Congress unresponsive to the needs of our country? What are the causes of congressional gridlock and what are the solutions to that? So I'm going to share with you answers to broad questions like, what is flooding? What are some of the bad land use decisions that relate to flooding? What are some of the strategies for flood control? What are some of the strategies for flood control that relate specifically to plant matter? Uh, What are the causes of climate change? What are some of the neglected sources of greenhouse gases? And then I'm going to share with you that a lot of what we're dealing with here in flooding and climate change relates to agriculture. It's how we get our food and fiber and the other agricultural products. And if we could change 
for the better, how we get our food and fiber and other products, then we can go far to prevent flooding and prevent climate change. So let's talk about what is flooding. The article says, you know, we're in denial about flooding. So what is flooding? Well, flooding is too much runoff. It's too much water running off of the property where it falls. Flooding is not capturing enough rainwater from our roofs and from the land surfaces. There's a lot of different roofs, a lot of different land surfaces, but flooding occurs when we're not capturing enough water, mainly from the land surfaces. And then thirdly, what is flooding? It's an in inadequate capture of rainwater. So the, these are all land use decisions. Flooding occurs, broadly speaking, because of bad land use decisions. So notice we haven't talked yet about greenhouse gases. There are a lot of causes of flooding that have nothing to do with greenhouse gases. Mainly we're talking about land use decisions. So what are three bad land use decisions that cause flooding? Well, one is deforestation. Way too much deforestation or indiscriminate deforestation or deforestation for the wrong reasons. Number two, bad land use decisions that cause flooding, too much concrete and otherwise impervious surfaces. And it's like, how are we going to change that? We need concrete and we need uh, paved roads. But we need to really look at who is making these decisions and what is the end game? In a few minutes, I'm going to share with you entire industries that either do not need to exist or need to be greatly reduced and would not exist or would be greatly reduced if we, the people, were actually making these decisions. Number three on uh, bad land use decisions that cause flooding is, is too many impervious surfaces. So these include roofs, sidewalks, parking lots. These include roads. And it's like, yeah, we need some roads, but in all things moderation, right? We have arguably way too many roads. And I'll share with you in a few minutes how we can reduce some of the roads, how we can reduce some of the impervious surfaces that we have. Next item, four strategies for flood control. So we've talked about what is flooding, what are some of the bad land use decisions that lead to flooding. Now let's talk about four strategies for flood control. Actually, there are many, many strategies for flood control. Flood control is mainly when you capture rainwater and don't let it go anywhere. Put the water in a prison. And that's done in four ways. The four major categories for that. One is plant matter. Having more plant matter captures rainwater. This means have more forests, not less. It means in agriculture having cover crops. It means in agriculture having more uh, crops that are from perennials, from diverse communities that include perennials, that feature perennials. 
In other words, you know, as opposed to annuals, trees, bushes, anything that's woody is a perennial. And then in the realm of landscaping, grow more and cut less. We need to lose our infatuation with the perfect lawn, which is, you know, doesn't capture much rainwater, among other things. So four strategies for flood control. Number one is plant matter. Number two is good soil. Good soil is a whole topic in and of itself. There are five principles for soil health, including, you know, uh, having living plants in the soil, including, you know, eliminate disturbance. Don't till very much. Don't use fertilizers or pesticides that harm soil health. Uh, whenever you have otherwise bare ground, put organic matter on top of it. This might be leaves, leaves it might be logs, it might mean not removing dead wood and leaves from your property because dead organic matter always soaks up rain as opposed to having no dead organic matter there. So there are lots of ways to nurture and cultivate good soil. In fact, soil has, has so many uh, benefits and most of our agricultural system, such as it is, does not nurture healthy soil. In fact, quite the opposite. Most of our agricultural system, such as it is, destroys good soil. But good soil can soak up the worst rain events you ever saw. If you have good soil, then you can soak in 10 or 12 inches of rain in just a few minutes if you have good soil. Gabe Brown in North Dakota had, uh, had a over a foot of rain in 24 hours. It all soaked in because for decades he's been working on healthy soil. This gets down to infiltration rates. So, you know, typically the, the bad soil that we have, you're going to have infiltration rates of about a half inch an hour. Of course, a half inch an hour, what's going to happen if within that hour you have an inch or more? It's going to run off, and by definition, that's what causes floods. So four strategies for flood control. Number one, plant matter. Number two, good soil. Number three, earthworks. This is where you shape the ground with dams and berms and swales and key lines and contours and terracing because we need to design for hydration instead of designing for drainage. All of this civil engineering we've got going on it's dedicated to drain, drain, drain. Treat water as a, as a nuisance. We need to treat water as a resource. So four strategies for flood control. Number three is earthworks. Number four is smart strategies for municipal water and sewage. This is a whole other topic, but it includes, you know, the water from your roof potentially is drinking water, or if you don't want to drink the water from your roof, you can use it for your garden or for your bath or for kitchen sink, dishes, that kind of thing. So we need to look at rainwater harvesting from roofs and also using gray water. Gray water is the uh, wastewater that is not that bad. That you'll feel comfortable putting it on your garden, etc. So we've talked about four categories of strategies for flood control. The article in the New Republic didn't talk about 
any of this because commercial media and government are driven by commercial interests and commercial interests want to have expensive projects uh, as government contractors. It's not about being conspiratorial, it's just understanding how the system works. When it comes to the provisions in a spending bill like Build Back Better, it's going to be heavily weighted toward commercial interests that want to make money off of government spending. They want to make money directly off of government contracts and they want to make money indirectly off of policy decisions that are favorable to them. So in this case we're talking about expensive civil engineering projects like Louisville has a $200, $200 million pipe. We're spending $200 million on a pipe that's going to store a certain amount of water pending you know, treatment. So that's the kind of thing that gets a lot of support from the commercial interests that have so much power and influence over our governments, local, state, and federal. But the most expensive solutions are often not the best solutions. So let's look at some flood control strategies that involve plant matter, which are better than flood control strategies that involve a lot of civil engineering, but, but don't fix the problems that we have, or flood control strategies that, you know, that don't fix the agricultural system that we have, don't fix the transportation system that we have. So here are some flood control strategies, four flood control strategies that involve plant matter, and then we'll talk more generally about the causes of climate change and three neglected sources of greenhouse gases and how we can change our agricultural system to be better for climate change and flood control. And the great thing about this is there's so much that we can actually do locally, personally, in our food buying decisions, etc. There's so much that we can do that will actually solve the problems of flooding and climate change instead of just feeling lost and overwhelmed and helpless. If you're just joining us, this is Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM Louisville. This is the Climate Report. I'm Hart Hagen, your host. So let's talk about the four strategies that involve plant matter. You know, so the four strategies for flood control include plant matter, good soil, earthworks, and smart strategies for municipal water and sewage. So let's talk only about plant matter just for a minute. So flood control strategies that involve plant matter. Number one, stop deforestation. It doesn't mean we never cut down a tree. It just means we stop this indiscriminate deforestation. We know that trees bring rain. For one thing, a tree and any plant, but a tree is a reservoir for water. So in all things moderation, but we're not cutting down a moderate number of trees. 
and we don't do a moderate amount of mowing. We're completely immoderate in the trees we cut down and in the amount of mowing we do. So strategy number one, stop deforestation or slow way down on deforestation and especially stop those instances of deforestation that we would never do if it were our decision. So much deforestation occurs because of decisions that we are not making. Much of it relates to defense. Much of it relates to transportation, even though we have a transportation system that we would never sign up for if it were our decision. So stopping deforestation is a major strategy for flood control, but it's not mentioned in the, in the New Republic article. And the Build Back Better plan has, I think, only token things to stop or slow deforestation or encourage good land management. Number three, number two in flood control strategies that involve plant matter is let trees grow. Not only stop cutting them down, but let trees go like in your lawn. Uh, trees want to grow all the time. Every acre, and if you're in Kentucky, I can tell you every acre, you're going to have hundreds of tree seedlings per growing season. Stop cutting them all down. Let some of them grow. Number three, flood control strategies involving plant matter. Stop killing plants with mowers and herbicides. You know, in, in all things moderation, but we don't kill a moderate number of plants. In human history, we've eliminated maybe half of all the plant matter on earth, and we continue to grow, we continue to go in the wrong direction. So we need to stop killing so many plants. We need to have landscaping methods, gardening methods, and farming methods that don't involve killing so many plants. And one way that this is going to help flood control is that when you have more plant diversity, that's good for your soil. When you, when you have healthy soil, you're going to have better infiltration rates. Your soil is going to be able to soak up more rainwater. And part of the reason for that is that your soil is going to have more worms, more grubs, more insects, all of the things, more ants, all of the things that help the soil be healthy and living. And that in turn is going to help your plant growth. It's going to be good for your vegetables, good for your flowers, whatever it is you're growing, good for your lawn, good for your grass, good for your trees. Number four in flood control strategies that involve plant matter is mow less. Uh, you, we need to have an increased tolerance for plant growth. That means not being so obsessed with mowing. If you let your grass grow more, it's going to catch more water. The roots are going to grow deeper. Deeper roots are going to inject carbon into the soil. Increased carbon means your soil can absorb more rainwater, and that means reducing your runoff, and that means flood control. So in short, when it comes to flood control strategies involving plant matter, mow less, cut less, poison less, and grow more. So we've been dealing with this article in the New Republic. Americans are in, the title of the article is, Americans are in total denial about flooding. And the article assumes that flooding 
is a result of climate change. And of course, climate change is thought to be solely because of greenhouse gases. I disagree with that. Yes, we need to deal with greenhouse gases. But water, water cycles, and ecosystems control more heat dynamics than greenhouse gases alone. And if we deal effectively with water, water cycles, and ecosystems, we're going to be absorbing a whole lot of carbon into the plants and into the ground, and we're going to be emitting less carbon if we deal effectively with water, water cycles, and ecosystems, because a lot of our carbon emissions are from continually degrading the soil and continually chopping up, cutting down plant matter. Over the course of time, we could talk about whether burning fossil fuels or deforestation and agriculture, which one is the biggest contributor to greenhouse gases. But deforest deforestation and agriculture would be a and the degradation of ecosystems would be a serious contender. So let's talk about, broadly speaking, about four causes of climate change. One is, yes, greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide and methane. Water is also a greenhouse gas, but it is not included in the models of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It's, it's at best a minor player in the models that we get. But another cause of climate change is having less plant matter to cast shade. If there's less plant matter, there's going to be less shade. And less plant matter means that plant matter is emitting less water. It's a process called transpiration or evapotranspiration. When water evaporates, there's a serious amount of heat that is being converted from heat, from sensible heat, heat that you feel, to a, another form of energy called latent heat. But when there's less plant matter, there's less shade, and there's less transpiration from the plants and from the soil. That transpiration and that evaporation is a major way of cooling the planet at least at the local level and probably at the global level. We have the power to create microclimates. We have the power to create microclimates simply with more plant matter, less deforestation, mow less, cut less, grow more. So of the four causes of climate change that I've chosen to list here, number one, greenhouse gases. Number two, less plant matter that casts less shade. Number three, less plant matter, meaning less water in the plants being transpired and evaporated that would otherwise have a cooling effect. And then fourth, low functioning ecosystems. So ecosystems that are not very diverse, that don't have much plant matter, that don't have high quality soil, that don't have a lot of what I call animal engineers, like worms and bugs and grubs, and even you know some, some birds and mammals can be animal engineers. 
but high-functioning ecosystems are going to have a cooling effect, and conversely, the absence of a high-functioning ecosystem is going to have a heating effect. When the sun shines, is it going to have a cooling effect or a heating effect? And that all depends on what the sun hits, what the sun rays. So if you have a, a pavement or if you have a bare dirt agricultural field, that's going to be a hot plate. If you have the sun shining on plants, then the, sun, the plants do photosynthesis. They capture that energy. They change it into carbon and they absorb water and they're going to use the sun's energy to be an air conditioner. A plant is an air conditioner. A tree is an air conditioner. And all of that is going to occur optimally in the context of functioning ecosystems. Because a tree by itself is better than nothing. A plant by itself is better than nothing. But it's best if the tree or the plant is part of a high-functioning ecosystem. So let's talk about how that high-functioning ecosystem that absorbs sunlight and turns it into a solar-powered air conditioner, let's talk about how that can be incorporated into our farms. And remember, what we're talking about here is flood control and climate. This article in the New Republic says, you know, we Americans are in denial about flooding, and it's because they're in denial about climate change, and it's because of this fossil fuel money, and it's because denialism. But I th think the real denialism is when you have the New Republic not saying very much at all about real flood control, and not saying very much at all about the real causes of climate change and the real problems inherent in our political and economic system. But what we need, and if I could make one change worldwide, here's what it would be. We would have farms that are biologically diverse, farms where you don't just have one crop or one animal, but you have multiple types of livestock, you have multiple crops, and all of this is integrated into a natural system. And we can do that if our small farms are not under unfair competition from agribusiness monopolies. And if we do this, we're going to have very nutritional food because nutritional food comes from biologically diverse farms where the plants and animals all, are all kind of exchanging nutrients. And you have good healthy soil and you have lots of diversity of the insects and the pollinators and the birds. That's how you get biologically diverse farms. That's how you get nutritional food. That's how you have strong local economies. That's how we can be fair to our farmers. That's how we can be fair to our consumers. And if we did that, we wouldn't need to do very much else. If we grew good, healthy food, that is the foundation of a local economy. We wouldn't have to do much else. And that is a situation where we can control floods and we can restore the climate and we can have good, healthy, thriving microclimates that are cool 
which provide a lot of habitat for wildlife, which lift our spirits. And I want to end with a quote from one of my favorite farmers, Joel Salatin, who said, the tragedy of human existence is not that we are lazy, but that we are busy doing the wrong things. We're very busy sabotaging good farming, good flood control, good food growth. We're busy sabotaging nutritional foods. We're busy sabotaging our local economies. So it's not that we have to do more, it's that we have to do less, because quite often less is more. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Have a great day. This has been the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville.